Oh, okay. Got to start the show out with, uh, well, we're going to be talking about uh, Christmas traditions and stuff like that today. But I mentioned this on uh, the Plant Doctor Facebook account, and I got to bring it up on air too. There is a rumor going around, especially on social media, that there is this critter out there invading some of our homes this time of year. And it's called the Christmas tree tick. Okay. (laughs) This is nothing but somebody's really warped sense of humor to start a rumor like this. There is no such thing. Is it possible you can get a t- uh, bring in ticks on a Christmas tree, a live tree? Totally. Uh, you know, you can bring in just about anything on a uh, you know a live tree. But chances are it's not going to bother you. And uh, there is no such thing as a Christmas tree tick. Uh, there's been no invasion or major influx of ticks coming on Christmas trees or anything like that. It is all a bunch of made-up bull. So there, that is said and out of the way. If you hear the rumor, laugh at it. Uh, okay, now, like I said, I wanted to talk about traditions today. Uh, you know, Being close to Christmas, uh, there's some things dealing with plants, and I've covered a lot of them already, and we'll cover some more next week. But this time here, this week, I wanted to cover some of the other traditions that are out there. Some of them have to do with plants, too. <clears throat> but the first one that I wanted to talk about is actually a newer tradition. Uh, it just started, well, uh, uh, I want to say a few years back. It's a little bit more than a few years back now, but it's not, you know, like one of the older ones. Uh we don't really do this one in our household too much because primarily we don't have any, you know, little children are at the right age to enjoy it anymore. But starting in 1955, the Continental Air Defense Command, which eventually turned into NORAD, uh, started tracking Santa. And this happened largely by accident and happenstance. And the story behind this is really, really neat. As fate would decide, someone had made a major typo when setting up uh, an advertisement in a newspaper. The advertisement was something that one of the local department stores ran for the children to call the North Pole and speak to Santa on Christmas Eve. Well, I guess the typesetter was a little dyslexic because he transposed a couple of numbers. And he had inadvertently put in the unlisted and probably top secret phone number for that red phone at the Continental Air Defense Command. (laughs) Wow. Uh, So imagine being the guy in the military sitting at his desk on Christmas Eve, hearing the red phone ring. Now that's something he would wish that he would never hear, but, uh, yeah, it would have meant that it was the starting of the chain of events, which would lead to a nuclear war with a gazillion people dying. Not to forget that it was Christmas Eve of all nights. I mean, what type of an idiot would start a nuclear war on Christmas Eve? Yeah, he's definitely going to get coal in his stocking. But, well, the phone rang and the guy's heart sank because he knew that it was the night before Christmas. Nobody would be running any drills at that time. 
So it's got to be the real deal, right? So he answers the phone in his official manner because only some of the top brass in the country and the POTUS, the President of the United States, have this number. And lo and behold, at the other end, it's a little kitty wanting to uh, speak to Santa. (coughs) So he quickly tells the the child that, you know, good old St. Nick is not there and he hangs up. Right after getting off the phone with that kid, another calls. And then another. Okay, stop and think about this for a second. Here's a guy literally with the fate of the entire world in his hands, and he has a bunch of kids calling in on what's supposed to be the hotline for, you know, uh, authorizing a nuclear war. He can't just take the phone off the hook. Because, you know, that real phone call may come in. And he must answer the phone using the correct, proper military procedure for answering the phone, you know, to blow up the world. I guess it's something like, this is Petty Officer Meyer of the Continental Air Defense Command. And he has no choice to continue doing that until he's told by some higher up, uh, you know, that, you know, okay, we don't answer that phone anymore. But all of his higher ups, we're probably at Christmas parties and three sheets to the wind at that point because it's Christmas Eve. So good luck at getting anything to happen. And this poor guy is stuck at his post with all these kids calling it. And the phone's ringing off the hook with these little kids wishing to speak to the big guy. Now, personally, I think they should have made this guy an admiral or whatever for what he did next. He answered the phone, Petty Officer Meyer of the Continental Air Defense Command, and waited to see if it was a child at the other end. And once he did, he found out it was a kid. He proceeded to tell them that Santa had already left the North Pole, and he was indeed being tracked by them with radar. And they were following his ways, making sure to you know uh, keep the airs, uh, airways uh, clear for Santa's sleigh. And getting the kid off the phone as quickly and as efficiently as he could while not breaking the kid's heart. Well, after probably a couple hundred phone calls, the word got around later on that the Continental Air Defense was uh, helping Santa by keeping the airways clear for him and his eight flying reindeer. And word got back to the base commander. It was such a big hit with the kids that the guys that were in charge of, you know, uh, these are the people that would have been incinerating the earth. If, uh, you know, the order came through. Uh, That has got to be a high-stress job to have. And, uh, you know, they had a chance to lighten things up a bit, and they started doing this every year. They set up a phone line. Uh, they didn't give out the number to that phone anymore, obviously, but, uh, they set up an own, their own phone line for this. Now with the advent of the internet, they stopped doing the phone line and they set it up on a website and this website prior to Christmas Eve, you can go there and play some games. Yeah. Kids can play games and learn about the jolly old elf. <coughs> but on Christmas Eve is when the real magic begins. 
you can actually go to this website and bring up NORAD's radar, which follows St. Nick all around the globe. It'll show you where he's been. It'll show you where he's at right now. And it will continue right to him coming here in the States. It shows you some satellite images, too, of the uh, guy. And uh, you can also learn, you know, a little bit a little bit about the countries and how they celebrate the holiday, the different countries that he's visiting. So starting at 12 midnight on the 23rd and running through 12 midnight on Christmas morning, you can go to www.noradsanta.org. Very easy to remember. And NORAD is spelled N-O-R-A-D, Santa.org, no spaces. Check in, and you can see exactly where Santa is and where he's been. And, uh, no, well, it's a really fun tradition. I used to do it with the kids, uh, but like I said, my kids are, you know, kind of old now. But I, I'll still sneak in and take a yeah, peek every now and then. Uh, just check it out and uh, see what's new with the uh, site. Now... That's the fun thing about Santa. This next thing isn't really a tradition, but I did want to make mention of it today because I heard about it on the news, and this is disturbing. People, there is a movement to give Santa a modern makeover. Now, granted, Santa has definitely changed with the times, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But... They're talking about changing him into a woman or to be gender neutral. What in the heck is this world coming to? I mean, seriously. He's a jolly old man dressed in red and white. It is That's a depiction of our actual person. And Nicholas of Myra or St. Nicholas. And he lived uh, back uh, not long after Christ. Uh, it, from uh, March uh, 2070, or two, uh, 270, to uh, December of uh, 343. I mean, that's right back there. And you know, it, he's a real guy. You can't make do this changing thing to him. Uh, it depicts a real person. I'm sorry. But... Okay, we're going to have to take a little break and take care of a little bit of business, but we'll be right back here at 1410 WYZM. And if you do happen to have a question about anything that's green or growing, uh, maybe you got a question about a plant you're going to give us a Christmas present, uh, or maybe you received one, or you're wondering how to keep your uh, poinsettia, you know, looking good through the holidays, uh, go ahead and give me a call. The number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914. Uh, you can also shoot a text on that number as well. And uh, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. And we are back. And uh, today down here at WYZM, we're going to be talking about, oh, some Christmas traditions and stuff like that. Uh, but like I said uh, before going into the break, if you happen to have a question about anything green or growing, uh, maybe it's the uh, best way of keeping your Christmas tree alive you know, throughout the season, or maybe you're still thinking of doubt, hey, the weather's been warm enough, uh, going out and doing some uh, lawn repairs or something like that. Uh, is it possible? Uh, would it pay off? 
go ahead and give me a call. Shoot me a text. Number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914. Now, uh, we're talking about Santa Claus. And the name Santa Claus is a translation of his name in German. Uh, it's Sant, S-A-A-N-T, Klaus. And uh, that's how it's pronounced in German. And, by the way, in German, uh, Nicholas, St. Nicholas, is uh, shortened to Klaus. And granted, he was not a fat guy, but uh, he did have a long white beard, and he was very, very charitable. He was a, a priest, and uh, he gave away his all the riches that he had inherited to people that were in need. Now... You can't just take somebody like that and make him into a sexless person. Uh, I, uh, you, who in their right mind looks at Santa Claus and sees gender anyhow? It, you don't do that. Uh, it's, he's an icon. Just leave him be. But the modern likeness of Santa, in truth, comes from a uh, Coca-Cola uh, commercial, believe it or not advertisement back in the 1930s uh, that, you know, if you see, uh, and I've seen this a lot, uh, they're supposed to be, uh, you know, little statues or figurines of Santa Claus. And, you know, they're back from the 1800s or what have you. And they depict Santa in, you know, the red coat and uh, red hat, black lodges. That's an easy uh, giveaway because that look did not happen until the 1930s, believe it or not. Uh, in fact, a, there was a Civil War cartoonist, uh, Thomas Nast, drew Santa Claus in a Harper's Ferry Weekly in 1862. He was a little small elf-like figure who supported the Union. And he continued to uh, draw that draw him like that for many years. And he started out uh, with the, uh, his coat being tan, but after a while he changed it to red, uh, the red that he's known for wearing today. Now, the Coca-Cola uh, company, in its uh, Christmas advertising in the 1920s with you know shopping-related ads and stuff like that, in the Saturday Evening Post and, you know, the different ads or different magazines. They first used uh, Santa Claus. They hired a artist, Fred uh, Mizzen, uh, who painted a department store Santa in a crowd drinking a bottle of Coke. And this likeness stuck. And uh, that is how Santa, the little red guy, you know, uh, night before Christmas in the whole nine yards that we see in those books, that's where uh, that Santa uh, Claus depiction came from. Now, over the years, there's all sorts of different uh, Santas out there. I collect uh, Santa figurines myself, and I have some pretty uh, I don't want to say they're uh, old ones. They're newer made, but they depict the older Santas. And uh, he appears anywhere from, like I said, a little short elf to uh, the, the true Saint Nick uh, 
or you know anything in between. Uh, a lot of people uh, looked at Santa as a woodsman, and I'm not sure when the act, the him living in the North Pole or when he took up residence in the North Pole actually happened, but uh, usually back then. He lived in whatever country was, you know, depicting him, and they were talking about, uh, and they have different names for Santa as well. So, yeah, Santa's a pretty interesting character all the way around, and the history of him was a lot of fun to uh, look up and uh, read about, and it's something, you know, I recommend doing. Uh, you know, sitting around, especially if it starts raining later on, you know, you get done with your Christmas uh, wrapping and such, and... Uh, we're not going to bake any more cookies today or what have you. After the Army-Navy game, of course, go Navy, beat Army. Uh, you know, do some uh, looking up about uh, you know the history of Santa Claus. It's pretty cool stuff in there. But I, there are other uh, you know traditions I wanted to talk about too. And one of them is what we do to a Christmas tree. Uh, lately, uh, you know, over the... The past few decades, it's becoming less and less popular uh, because many people use garland because it's a heck of a lot easier to put garland on a tree than it is to put tinsel on a tree. Well, no. If you're a kid, it's easy to put tinsel on a tree. You just take gobs of it and throw it up on the tree, and whatever stays on the tree works. But to do it right, you've got to take each individual little strand of tinsel and put it on the tree and you keep doing it like that until a tree is decorated. Personally, I I used to have a uh, aunt that did her tree in tinsel, never used garland, and it took her like an entire day to do the tree with tinsel. It's worth it. It is so worth it because it is beautiful. There's It's breathtakingly beautiful to see a tree done just right like that, but it has to be done just right, otherwise it looks kind of tacky. But, uh, okay, when we come back, we're going to talk about tinsel and how that got started. But, uh, as always, if you've got a question about anything else that's green or growing, uh, be it holiday-related or not, go ahead and give me a call or shoot me a text. number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914. We're going to take care of a little bit of uh, news and business, and we'll be right back. All righty then, and uh, yes, uh, today we're talking about Christmas uh, traditions, and you know, it does, if you got a question about anything green or growing, please go ahead and give me a call. Uh, it doesn't even have to be about Christmas, uh, you know, you could have a house plant that's just not looking right and you're wondering what happened to it. Or maybe it is about Christmas. Uh, you know, you got a, a poinsettia and you're wondering how to keep it alive, if uh, you can make it into a house plan or not. Or is it just a Christmas decoration? Uh, answer is yes, you can grow them very nicely as a house plant uh, year round. They don't stay red all year round, though. But uh, yeah, go ahead and give me a call, shoot me a text. Number down here at Wisdom is 608 785 7914. Now, a lot of these uh, traditions and stuff that we have uh, today, uh, nobody knows exactly where they started, and so there's a lot of folklore involved with it. And tinsel is definitely one of them. Uh, 
uh, you know, folklore's gonna pretty much be uh, what you hear when you look up uh, the history of it. Now, uh, tinsel as a holiday decoration arrived on the scene in the 17th century, but it's attributed to a sad tale of a woman whose husband had passed, and she was left with several children to raise and worked very, very hard to support them. Now, for Christmas, she diligently made this, you know, uh, Christmas, uh, you know, tree up the best way that she could. Uh, she went out and cut a tree and, you know, set it up and, uh, you know, just to greet the uh, children on uh, Christmas morning. But that night, spiders had supposedly uh, spun their webs to the uh, limbs of the tree. And she woke up and saw it, and she was heartbroken because, you know, here's this tree that was covered with, uh, you know, spider webs now. You know, it's supposed to be for Christmas. Now it's looking like something from Halloween. Now, according to a legend, uh, the Christ child witnessed the webbing, and knowing that the woman was devastated, changed the webs into silver. Now, and, you know, thus making it beautiful again. Now, actually, tinsel was first used in Germany in 1610, and it was made of silver. Uh, machines were invented to stretch silver out into super thin little strips, and, uh, you know, soon after that, because, you know, even back then, silver was expensive, uh, inventors tried unsuccessfully to create tinsel from a mixture of lead and tin. Unfortunately, the tinsel tended to be too heavy, and since it had lead, it broke uh, because, you know, lead's a very weak uh, metal. So people reverted back to using silver tinsel, real silver tinsel. Man, I'd love to find some of that stuff. Uh, until the mid-19th century. I imagine that would be a pain in the neck to polish it, though, so it's shown. I, it must still tarnish just like regular silver would. But uh, who knows? Anyhow, a lot of the icons that uh, surround this holiday are, uh, you know, they've got their foundations in foreign countries and strange religions. But, uh, you know, the meanings have changed throughout the years uh, to sometimes, you know, something that was totally different than, you know, what it began with, uh, such as the word Noel. You know, throw this one out at a, you know, um, a trivia uh, uh, question sometime. What does the word Noel mean? Uh, today it's synonymous with uh, Christmas. And, you know, just about everybody knows a uh, Christmas carol, the first Noel. Uh, they think that it means Christmas. Uh, if you ask people, they would say, uh, you know, the first Noel is you know, about the first Christmas or the only pertaining to the uh, Jesus Christ's birthday. And actually, in Latin, the word Noel, it only means birthday or to be born, uh, depending on, you know, how it's used. So uh, it's th the first birthday, not exactly pertaining to Christ. Uh, so it's a word that's become synonymous, like I said, with Christmas, but that's not where what the word always meant. 
Another word that's really uh, cool that's uh, changed over the years uh, is Mary, M-E-R-R-Y. And today when you hear the word, you think it's, you know, the same as being happy. You know, the song, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. It's about a bunch of guys out there partying, right? And, you know, hey, take a rest. That's not what it meant. Merry and truth meant holy or devoted uh, devoted to uh, Christianity. Uh, the song, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, was actually a story about the three kings or the wise men. Everybody thinks they were present at the time of Jesus' birth, but they weren't. Uh, when in truth, they didn't show up until much, much later. Uh, the term Merry Christmas was not meant to wish someone a good time. It was actually a reminder to think about Jesus being born and to be thankful. Uh, so, uh, you know, like I said, you know, words change over time. Uh, another word that has changed throughout the ages, and this is one when anybody is asked what it really means, they're just going to stand there and scratch their head and come out and say, I don't have a clue, is Yule, Y-U-L-E. What does Yule mean? And, uh, yeah, everybody's heard of the Yule log, but what exactly was the Yule log, too? I mean, was it just a big log they threw in the fireplace? Uh, now, Yule is a very old Germanic feast time, and it was celebrated when the first snow came, and it was a harvest type of a feast, uh, you know, go figure, that time of the year, celebrating with neighbors for the last time that year before the hardship of uh, winter would set in. Now, the Yule log uh, is a little uh, different than what you might think. Uh, burning, you know, fires and bonfires and stuff like that was an important part of the Yule festivals. But when Christmas replaced the Yule festival, the Yule log carried over, as well as many other, uh, you know, the traditions that the ancient people uh, used. And the missionaries use these traditions to bridge things over to Christianity. Now, it was not just a chunk of firewood like you would, you know, put into a fireplace. It was actually a long log, which was slowly fed into the fire. And it was selected on Candlemas, uh, which is another holiday that I, I forget and I think it's like 12 days. Yeah, it would be 12 days before Christmas, I guess. Uh, and each family selected one uh, for themselves. Plus, there was a one that was selected for their uh, village that would, uh, you know, be burnt outside. And it had to be lit 12 days before Christmas by a piece of last year's Yule log, which was saved throughout the year. There's a lot of superstitions that uh, surrounded the Yule log, and if you didn't follow them exactly right, <coughs> you'd be setting the stage for all sorts of nasty things to happen in the following year. And, you know, the ancient people actually believed all this stuff. Which, you know, made it pretty uh, neat and cool. But uh, you know, some of the other, there's other customs and stuff like that that had some pretty weird beginnings as well. Uh, 
Christmas card is one. Uh, they've been part of our Christmas traditions for well over a century. And, you know, they bring wishes of joy and health to those that we know and love. And Christmas cards, you know, give us the opportunity to honor our intentions, to keep in touch with an old, you know, friend or relative. Unfortunately, a lot of times, uh, that's where it ends, too. It starts and ends with the Christmas card. Not too, A lot of times, you know, people don't actually stay in touch, though. Now, although many uh, early Christmas cards have a strong German influence, the invention of our modern-day cards can be deemed pretty much an English invention. Uh, the New Year's greetings uh, date back as far as the 1400s, but the uh, printed Christmas greetings developed later on. And long before the first commercial Christmas cards were produced, uh, the Germans in the 15th uh, century presented seasonal gifts, and I'm going to try to pronounce this right. I always screw it up. And Achspirde, which is a uh, sort of a greeting card with a uh, devotional picture for the home. And they were often decorated with a scroll, you know, like the Christ child uh, or what have you on it. And it would have an inscription, Ein Gutselig Schar, which meant a good and blessed year. Now, the use of these cards dwindled over the you know next couple of centuries. And in the 18th century, uh, special printed uh, items were made to be given out during the holidays. And these were the first hol- printed holiday uh, you know, cards, uh, mass-produced pr- uh, holiday cards. But before that, uh, it started uh, with schools that the students in the early 18th century, so that would be the 1700s, would take large sheets of uh, either paper or parchment or whatever they used back then, and they'd, uh, you know, uh, make beautiful engraved borders, uh, and they'd write messages to their parents expressing holiday greetings. And a child might, you know, write a message such as, you know, love to dearest mummy at the Christmas season or holiday wishes to Aunt Agatha and Uncle Fred. Now, not only were these things designed uh, to show, you know, their love to their parents, but it was also a little bit of a report card. Because back then, nowadays, people don't just give a darn about handwriting anymore. Who writes anymore? They just walk around staring at cell phones, typing things into there. They don't write letters or do anything like that. Everything is done electronically. But, uh, you know, back then, handwriting was very, very important. And having neat handwriting uh, was a definite plus. And the kids took great pride in their handwriting. And that's how they would show their parents how much their handwriting improved. And the parents would save the cards from year to year. And, okay, you know, you compare little Bobby's uh, handwriting from last year to the handwriting this year. And, you know, just imagine if they kept that tradition up today, how nice things would be. I, I am so sick of electronics. I... I'm waiting for the web to crash. <laughs> uh, I know that that would 
bring in a lot of issues, but still, uh, uh, we as a race have gotten really lazy. But back to the Christmas cards. By 1820, color was being added to the engraved borders, and they made the pieces much more decorative. And the use of no paper and, you know, matching envelopes and everything else, uh, you know, came a little bit later. Now, uh, yep, we're going to go ahead and take a little bit more of a break here. Uh, yeah, we got some commercials to take care of, maybe a little bit of weather. But we'll be right back here at 1410 WYZM in just a couple of minutes. Go ahead and give me a call. Shoot me a text. Number down here at WISM is 608-785-7914. And we will be right back. Okay. And uh, let's see here. We actually had a uh, text come in from uh, Steve. And Steve is saying, the oregano is, hi, Steve here. The oregano is showing new growth and is under and under the drying, dying out. Uh, oh, it's showing new growth under the uh, area that's drying out and dying. Uh, same scenario with the rosemary. My basil just completely uh, is completely dying. I water them plenty, I believe. I spray them regularly. Does city tap water play a part in this uh, with the chemicals in it? Uh, would a grow light help? Uh, can I harvest and use the lower dying drying safely? Have they outgrown their pots or in? Uh, would some fertilizer help? And let me take a quick look at these pictures. Hmm, okay, looks about standard there. Can't show pictures on the air, unfortunately. Okay, yeah, that one's looking pretty rough. Okay. Uh, growing herbs indoors, and it is not that difficult of a, a task to achieve, but if they have been growing outdoors uh, during the season, bringing them in, the plants will generally go into you know a state of shock for a while because they've got different uh, conditions, and plants like to, they're very conservative by nature, so they don't like abrupt changes. I don't know if that's what happened in your case or not, so I will just tell you basic generic uh, uh, ideas for you know growing uh, you know most herbs inside your house. Okay, first off, they love sunlight. Uh, having them in you know sunlight uh, like a uh, east uh, window, south facing window, southeast would be best would be great uh, where they're getting, you know, sunlight for most of the day. Uh, if you cannot do that, yes, you can use a grow light, but most people don't set up grow lights correctly. Grow lights have to be set within an inch or so of the plant itself. Uh, just having it, you know, uh, putting in a uh, grow light uh, bulb and a fixture up in the ceiling isn't going to do anything for you. But if you do it right, grow lights will help, yes. Now, there's a couple of reasons why your plants uh, could have been showing uh, some dying uh, or die back. Like I said, shock is one. Uh, another one is getting used to a new schedule of watering. You don't want to overwater. You don't want to underwater. You have to find that sweet spot. And the best way to find that sweet spot is to go ahead and just Stick your fingers down inside the pot, uh, 
as far as down as you can uh, put your fingers, your thumb and uh, your pointer finger, and uh, pinch together some soil. Bring it up to the surface, and uh, when you release your fingers, if that soil retains its shape, you know, like clay would, then it's got enough moisture in it. If it uh, crumbles and falls apart, then it needs to be watered. Now, the, it's very hard to pin down over the winter, especially in a year like this, uh, how often you have to water. You can't really set it to a, uh, you know, okay, I'm going to water every Wednesday or, you know, what something like that because the conditions are changing drastically. I mean, one week we have cold weather, so the heat's constantly on. The next week it's, uh, you know, a lot warmer. So uh, the heat isn't on. And, you know, the heat, no matter what type of heat you have, dries out the plants. Uh, if you happen to have a radiator-type uh, uh, heat, that's not as bad as uh, a furnace, you know, blowing hot air. Or uh, the worst for uh, drying things out, of course, would be uh, wood heat. Uh, as much as I love it, it makes the entire house bone dry. But nothing else cuts through uh, the chill of a winter night than better than wood heat. But uh, that's uh, one of the things. Now, also with the, uh, they do not like drafts. Uh, you want to keep them away from a hot or cold draft. And not even a draft, but if you have it too close to a window, you know, right up against the window uh, where the temperature is going to be uh, dropped back quite a bit when it gets cold out. That's not good for them either. So you want them set inside in a really bright area, brightly lit area from the sun, and uh, moderate your watering. Uh, and they should do fine. Do not fertilize them until, say, March. Right now, the plants are going to be going into their slow growth period, and it's kind of like a dormant period. Uh, by fertilizing them now, you're going to be telling them to wake up. It's time to grow, and that's not really the case. Okay. Well, we got another call coming in, so let's go ahead and jump over to the phone lines. Good morning. You're on the Plant Doctor Show. Who is this? Good morning. This is Phil. Hey, Phil. What can I do for you? Hey, uh, question. I have a um, uh, maple tree. I think I called you a couple of years ago. But the, the leaves had had black spots on them, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's uh, and then the, you can see like the bark kind of cracking down the whole kind of the whole side of the trunk. Okay. Um, and then I, I see similar maple trees on boulevards that are kind of dying like that. And so I don't know if my tree is just slowly dying. I should cut it down before it breaks and falls down. Or Okay. Uh, first so, of all, you know, I actually remember your phone call uh, because I had the exact same thing happen to my tree, too. And uh, that dark spot was called tar spot, if you remember. And uh, that is not something, it is a, uh, it happens when the weather conditions are right. And it usually doesn't do too much damage to this tree because it usually happens later on in the season. Uh, so any leaves that are, you know, compromised by it, it doesn't really make that big of a difference. Now, as far as uh, trunks cracking, maples are notorious for cracked trunks. Uh, they are one of the first trees to start taking up uh, moisture during the springtime. 
everybody thinks it's a willow tree because they green up really, really quick, but maples are even earlier. And that's how we get maple syrup. The sap starts running long before it warms up. And uh, if the tree itself fills up with, uh, you know, sap, water, and you get a major cold spell, well, you know, it's going to freeze up on the inside of that tree, and the result is the tree bursts. And that the bursting is the cracking that you're seeing. Very common, extremely common, and the tree will heal itself from that. If you look at any of the old cracks, you'll see the uh, scar tissue. It'll look like a uh, pair of lips, you know, if the crack goes sideways or, you know, sometimes they're vertical too. But you can actually see the scar tissue coming out and from uh, the uh, where it cracked. And it'll eventually uh, close back in and it'll be fine with no problems at all. Now, there are issues with trees. Now, uh, this year, were the leaves still dying on it? Uh, you mean uh, leaves are what? Di- what'd you say? What was your question? Uh, the leaves on the maple tree uh, were they still dying back early this year, or did the leaves uh, uh, look you know pretty good? Uh, overall, pretty good, but it seems like there's spots up in the branches that are don't do as well as other. Okay. Uh, that could be a sign of a disease or it could just be a sign of, you know, maybe a wind injury or something like that to the individual branch. It's kind of hard to tell. Uh, there is a disease out there that is uh, pretty much geared towards maple trees. Other plants do get it, but maples are notorious for it. It's called verticillium wilt. And that disease starts out it's very recognizable because it starts at the tips of the branches and it works its way in. And if you go ahead and cut one of those branches on an angle and look at the, uh, you know, cross section of the wood, you can actually see a darker area in the cross section, uh, because, uh, Brazilian wilt is akin to hardening of the arteries in a human. Uh, the pores inside the tree clog up and they start to, you know, slowly rot. And it is a death sentence to a tree, but it takes years for that to happen. Unfortunately, though, it is very, very common in the area. It is a soil-borne disease, and uh, if your tree gets it, it's going to go, unfortunately. 